centered around Solomon's grand experiment to find meaning and satisfaction in life under the sun without God. So he was thinking, if God's not part of the equation, can I find deep satisfaction in life apart from Him? And the answer was, of course, no. We're going to see more of his insights as we look at Ecclesiastes chapter 5 today. We encourage you to bring your Bibles with you as we study it together. Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 1. It says there, guard your steps when you go to the house of God. Now, in that day, he was referring to God's temple, the temple that God had built. Remember, the Israelites in the Old Testament, uh, when they came out of Egypt, uh, they were told to build a tabernacle. And in this tabernacle, you had the Holy of Holies, a special room where God dwelt. Of course, God is omnipresent, but there was a special manifestation of His presence there. That was His house, the tabernacle. And then, when David became king, uh, God instructed him to build a temple. But he wanted Solomon to build the temple because David was a man of war. So David raised all the funds for this particular project, and Solomon built it. And here we see a picture of the temple. Obviously, this is a model. <laughs> but uh, it kind of gives you an idea of what the temple looked like. And it was, it was very big. And it was very, very impressive, one of the uh, wonders of the ancient world. And we look at just some of the stats of the temple. Uh, seven and a half years to build, over 150,000 workers on this project, 30 tons of silver and 30 tons of gold. Almost everything was gold-plated. Now, we look again at this picture and we say, wow. I mean, yeah, God deserves a house like that, right? I mean, if you're going to build a house for God, let's go big. Because He is the Creator Himself. But when Jesus Christ came into this world in order to save us, in order to bring us into a relationship with God, at the point of His death, as you remember the temple veil uh, that was over the Holy of Holies, where the Ark of the Covenant was, where the special manifestation of God's presence was. The Holy of Holies was only entered into by the high priest once a year. That's how holy it was. The temple was ripped by God at the point of Christ's death, and God left the building, one might say. And now God has a new temple, and here's a picture of the new temple. That's right. <laughs> That's God's temple. I don't have 30 tons of silver, <laughs> 30 tons of gold. Uh, I'm a, very much a work in progress. But what God says is that the Spirit left the temple. And when I was a young boy and put my faith in Jesus Christ, the Spirit came into me. Obviously, if you're a Christ follower, we could put your face up there, right? That is God's temple. And when I reflect upon 
Solomon's temple and the glory of Solomon's temple. And now God is saying, you're my temple. Wow. It's like, really, God? I'm your temple? We look in 1 Corinthians. It says, or do you not know that your body is a temple of God, a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. So, if you're a Christ follower today, you are a temple of God. God dwells within you through His Spirit, and you are not your own. See, that's where we get, that's where we really get confused. We think that we own our lives. We think that we're in control. In fact, if we had our way, uh, we would be little gods. (laughs) That's really our heart's desire, right? To control everything, have everything go our way. Uh, That's how we think, our sinful nature. But we don't even belong to ourselves. God owns us because He bought us with the price. He bought us with the price of Jesus Christ's blood and death. We were once slaves to sin. Sin owned us, and sin was taken us to a life of suffering separated from God. But through Jesus Christ's death and our acceptance of that free gift, we are now slaves of God. We, are, we belong to God. You are not your own, for you were bought with a price the greatest price ever paid in history, so glorify God in your body. That's your job description. That's your life plan. When somebody asks you, what's going on today? You say, hey, I'm glorifying God with my body. They're thinking like, what? (laughs) I'm glorifying God with my body. What does that mean? That means that I'm reflecting God as I go throughout my day. I'm far from perfect, but... As the Spirit moves within me, I'm going to be a reflection of God in this dark world. And people are hopefully going to see God within me and what comes out of my mouth and the way I work and the way I conduct myself and the way I manage my relationships. That people are going to see God and they're going to say, what's different about you? And they say, you say, well, I'm a temple of God and God's Spirit lives within me. And I'm here just to tell you about God and how much He loves you and how He wants to have a relationship with you. So friends, we are walking temples of God. We're walking temples of God. I would really encourage you to take some time in your daily office this week and really meditate on this verse. This verse can transform the way you think about everyday life and the challenges you have in your life and the problems you have in your life. and uh, You are not your own. You belong to God. So let's go back and look at Ecclesiastes 5, verse 1. It says, Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. So, All right, my fault. A little farther back. 
guard your steps. Now, he was talking about going to a worship service, so that's the context of this passage. They're going to the temple. You wouldn't go into the Holy of Holies. You couldn't even go into the building. You would stay out in the temple courts, the surrounding areas, and that's where you would worship and where the priests would teach and things like that. But uh, it's talking about, in a sense, going to church as we look at it from our uh, perspective. So it's saying, guard your steps. So it's saying, be careful. Pay attention to the direction of your steps. That's important to do, right? A couple weeks ago, with all this ice, I was out in the driveway. I think I was trying to get one of the cars out. We have a very steep driveway. (laughs) So... I was out there with an ice bucket, and uh, uh, I fell right on my rear end. And uh, I had tennis shoes on. And uh, I uh, I should have thought to myself at that, that point, Dan, you, you need another strategy. You are on sheer ice. You have tennis shoes on. You have an ice bucket. Is that what I thought? No, I, I thought to myself, because I am a man, that if I just do this with more effort, with more intensity, with more concentration, I don't have time to go inside and put on different shoes. That's going to waste time. I'm going to get this job done. It's the same reason guys try to carry in all the groceries in one trip. No matter how old we get, we still try to do it. And and our wives are looking at us, take your time, man. No, no, I, I'm not wasting my time by going out there several times. I'll give my, I'll, I'll, I'll wreck my body here uh, just to get the groceries in. Well, the same type of mentality here. I'm out there, I'm going to do it again. I fall on my rear again. And my son's out there at this time. He has not yet learned to be a man. He says, Dad, what are you doing? <laughs> he sees the foolishness of my efforts. Okay? <laughs> it's so important that we guard our steps, and we typically do that unless we're in that man mode. We're careful about where we go. If we're in an unknown area where the ground is uneven, we're looking down and we're We're, again, guarding our steps because we care about our bodies. We do not typically want to fall. Falling can be very injurious uh, to your health. So we guard our steps. And what he's talking about here is is guarding our steps, the steps of our lives, guarding our decisions that we make that take us in a certain direction, guarding the relational choices that we take that impact our lives. Guarding how we manage our thought life. Those are specific directions that we take. And and all these steps that we take can lead us in the right direction or the wrong direction. We want to stay on the path of blessing. We want to stay focused on Christ. And that's why it's so important that we guard our steps because each step we take takes us in a particular direction. And if we're the temple of God, if we're carrying around the temple of God and managing the temple of God, these steps become very, very critical in 
our lives. Solomon restates what he says here in Proverbs. He says, ponder the path of your feet, then all your ways will be sure. Do not swerve to the right or to the left. Turn your foot away from evil. So we need to guard our steps. And the larger context here is when you go into worship, guard your steps. What does that mean? Well, what God is trying to say to us, I believe, is that all our life is a worship service. Romans 12, dedicate your bodies to God as a living sacrifice. So when you come here on Sundays, that's a beautiful thing. But God is much more concerned about what you're doing the rest of the week than what you do here. Now hopefully here you'll be encouraged and inspired and convicted and uh, you know, your tank will be filled up. But God is concerned about the steps as you take throughout your week as well as the steps you take in worship. Now listen to this, uh, the next part of verse 1 in Ecclesiastes 5. To draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know that they are doing evil. To draw near to listen. When you come to a service, one of your main objectives is to listen to the Spirit of God. And my question for you today is why are you here? What's the primary purpose that you're here? Maybe your spouse encouraged, challenged you, coerced you, blackmailed you to be here. <laughs> Maybe you came because you wanted to see your friends. That, that really is kind of the primary reason you're here. Or maybe you came because it's, it's kind of the thing to do. You're a Christ follower, and you just kind of want to play the part, maybe. Maybe you came, you came because you're kids. You know, my kids need God. I've got my life together, but you know, I've got to teach them. So I'll hang out in the service while they get what... Uh, they need. Or maybe you came to listen. To listen. What I found in my own life, which I think is true of everyone, uh, we're great at selective listening, right? Selective listening. I always love the analogy of, you know, when God takes ownership, right? When he takes ownership of your life, it's like you have a house and you invite God in. But you don't want to give God ownership, control over all the house because you're doing life in a certain way. So when you first become a Christ follower, you say, Okay, God, you can come into the living room and the dining room and the kitchen, but why don't you just stay in that area? We'll give you oversight of that area. You can... Tell me what to do. But upstairs, that's, that's my area. Okay? I call the shots up there. Now, hopefully, as you grow as a Christian, you, you let them upstairs. And you, you give them control over the bedroom and the bathroom and the closet. And, 
and you even let them into the attic. Right? But what I found curious over the years as I've been a pastor is I've watched people's lives. I've kind of just tracked with them. And there are certain people that will come to service on a weekly basis and uh, they have stopped listening. They have stopped listening. I mean, they have their, their own version of Christianity. They say, this is what I am going to do. All right? But I'm not going to do things that I hear that don't square with my agenda. And I'm talking years where people just do not change. And, and I know over a period of time that I hit on certain topics that probably should apply to their lives. And, of course, God is speaking to them uh, through many other ways, the Word of God, friends, things of that nature. But they have become hard-hearted. So when they hear me say something that doesn't square with what they want in their lives, they either write me off or rationalize why that doesn't apply to them. Uh, when someone else maybe confronts them about that issue, they say, well, no, well, that doesn't apply to me. And the question that we all need to ask ourselves is when we come to worship, are we being hard-hearted? Well, what areas of our life are we hard-hearted in? And it's almost like the Holy Spirit can't get through anymore. The whole idea of uh, learning the Scripture is seen here in this next verse, Hebrews 4, 12, and 13, For the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. This book is alive! <laughs> this book comes packaged with the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit takes the words of this book and He goes deep into our hearts and lives. We see the physical analogy here. I'll go back, I'm sorry, uh, one slide. Sharper than any two-edged... Uh, go forward. Sharper, <laughs> sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow. These, uh, well, these CSI shows, you know, where... Uh, you know, they show how a person's been shot or something. You see that, you know, where they go in and they've got all these graphics. You know, you're going inside the body and things like that. Uh, well, that's kind of the, the idea here is that, that God gets into the joints and the marrow, marrow of our bones. I mean, God goes deep. Look at the iceberg illustration now. We've talked about this. The fact that, you know, people see that at top of the iceberg, above the water, but man, we go deep, don't we? I mean, we're not—we're kind of clueless about a lot of what's down there in terms of why we do what we do. But you see, the Holy Spirit can go deep, and, and what He does is He shows us some of the things we're just clueless about. And the question is, are we listening when He speaks to us? Or are we saying, no, no, that's not me, I don't want to go there? When you walk into this room to worship God, 
my prayer for you and myself is that we would listen. We would have open hearts. Just recently, uh, God has been revealing an area of my life that I have not been listening in. And they're saying, Dan, you have an issue here. God, I really don't have an issue. Let me tell you why I don't have an issue. He says, no, you have an issue. And, and uh, I say, yeah, God, I do have an issue. Could you help me out? We all can grow hard-hearted. And, but, but, but for some of you, you've been so hard-hearted for so long. Even as I speak right now, some of you are just have tuned me out. You're thinking about something else. You're thinking about the Oscars tonight. I don't know what you're thinking about. Okay? But you are so skilled in tuning me out, in tuning your spouse out, in tuning anything that touches that area of being hard-hearted. And it doesn't even bother you anymore. That's a scary part about it, right? That's the purpose of pain to alert us to what's what's a problem in our life. And if we don't do something about the physical pain that we're experiencing, we're going to have problems. i got a pain right here in my tooth, and I know it's a nerve. And uh, if I didn't experience that pain, I, uh, I wouldn't call the dentist. And I, and I try to put it off. And it keeps hurting. <laughs> and that's the purpose of pain, right? And my fear for some of you is you're no longer experiencing the pain. You become so hard-hearted. I pray that the Holy Spirit would break through. That you would listen. Listen. All right. Now, we go on. We need to have the attitude of David, Psalm 51, 16, and 17. For you will not delight in sacrifice. Let me give you the context here. David sinned with Bathsheba, adultery, killed Uriah. Then he covered it up for a year. Nobody knew that it happened other than certain people involved in the conspiracy, but he was hard-hearted for a year. He lived in rebellion against God. Now, this is a psalm that reveals his repentance. Verse 16, For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. I can imagine that as David went through that year of rebellion, that he was really worshiping. <laughs> yeah, he was overcompensating for the fact that he was far from God. I, I'm sure that he made some of his biggest gifts to the temple that particular year. Everybody who saw David that year saying, David, oh, he's a man of God. Look how he's worshiping God. Look how he's giving to God. When in reality... His heart was hard. He was in rebellion against God. He had committed sin, and he said, God, you're not going to touch me. I'm king here. I'm going to control things. I'm going to keep this a secret. Until Nathan the prophet came and nailed him against the wall and moved him 
to repentance. So he says, For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I give it. You will not be pleased with the burnt offering. David is saying, the, the religious rituals that I could go through mean nothing to you until you have my heart. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. And friends, when we come before God to listen to His Word, to listen to the Spirit, we need to be humble. We need to be broken. We need to be listening to what God has to say to us. That's what our prayer should be every time we're exposed to God's Word. Help me to listen, God. Help me to listen. Now, we talked about the fact that in worship we, we want to guard our steps. And, and, and God is much more concerned about what we do during the week than what we do here. There are many people that live pretty much a regular life, one that wouldn't be characterized as a Christ follower even though... Uh, they have made that decision to follow Christ. And then they come on Sunday, and somehow they think by showing up to church that that makes it all okay. They've done their duty. Friends, if you don't have an open heart, if you're not listening, God does not give points for just showing up. I am sorry. If you have a hard heart, if you're in rebellion against God, being here today, and if you're not listening... You're wasting your time. God is not saying, oh, way to go, even though in your rebellion you're showing up to church. No, 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 no. There's no points that are being racked up in your faith. God is interested in obedience as you walk throughout the week. First uh, Timothy chapter 2, verse 8, it says, I desire that in every place the men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. Now, that's interesting. He's saying, it's great to lift holy hands, but do it without anger or quarreling. It's interesting as you think about men. Now, one thing we just all need to own up to is that we're all control freaks. <laughs> okay. Again, we want our way. We want to control life. Now, the thing about women is they are so good with some of the sinful skills that they have in controlling other people. I mean, they are very intelligent. And they've got a lot of tools in their toolbox, all right? And manipulating and controlling and in the best sense of the word, ladies. Because <laughs> men are control freaks too, but they're just kind of, they sometimes only have like one or two tools. And the most common tool that men have in controlling other people is anger. And that's why he talks about it here, without anger or quarreling. You know, we're just kind of like one or two tool guys. And like if things aren't going our way, stereotypically here, we become angry. So if our spouse isn't doing what we want them to do, we yell at them. If our kids aren't doing what we want them to do, we yell at them. And sadly enough, men, we can do a lot of damage through sinful manifestations of anger. Anger in its sense is neutral. It's a normal emotion. But we many times sin in our anger. We say things we shouldn't say. We demean 
we're overly critical. We call our loved ones names. We even swear at them. Sometimes it even moves into a deeper level of sin, of some type of abuse. Men, what God is saying, He's saying, listen, don't be lifting up your hands, your holy hands in your mind, when you are unleashing your anger upon your loved ones. He's saying, I'm much more interested in what's happening at home, how you're interacting with those people that you're supposed to care about, than you lifting up your holy hands. Now, I want you lifting up your holy hands, but I want you to be worshiping with your walk. I want you to be guarding your steps in your relationship with your wife and guarding your steps in your relationship with your kids. Let's turn to the ladies. Again, as I said, they, they have a lot more tools in their toolbox. <laughs> Likewise also that women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly attire, but with what is proper for women who profess godliness with good works. So one of the tools that women have to control, uh, let's say men in this situation, is the way they dress. Obviously men are attracted to women. That's the way God put us together. And so some women use that as a way to control men. In our culture, certainly, uh, this is seen on a daily basis in the way women dress. So they might come to church dressed modestly, but as they move throughout their week, they'll, they'll wear certain clothing, they'll adorn themselves in certain ways uh, to appeal to men sexually. And that's wrong. That's sin. Fathers, you need to teach your daughters how to dress. <laughs> I know some of you guys would prefer that they wear a burlap bag, but uh, that won't go over. <laughs> but the first thing you need to do is teach your daughters how men think. I mean, you need to really get in their face and, and tell them, you know, those guys that are walking down the hallway, you, you know what they're doing in their minds with you? And the more you dress in such a way, the more they're doing it? Is that how you want men to think about you? Because some, I mean, they're just clueless. They have no clue that they are just a piece of meat walking down the hallway to most guys. They need to know that. And then you need to counsel them in terms of how to dress. And this is something, obviously, you need to work with your wife on. And it, it, It's hard. I know it's a battle. But we need to teach our young women how to be godly in the way that they dress in order that they might not use that as a way to control men in a sinful way. Again, we have all different ways of getting our way. And we just need to let the Spirit speak to us and say, yes, God loves to hear us sing, but He's much more concerned about how we live our lives for Him throughout the week. 
Let's go back to Ecclesiastes 5.1. It says, Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. To draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know what they are doing. Now, none of us want to be fools, right? But what's a fool who comes to worship? A fool is one who's not guarding their steps. They're kind of doing their own thing as they go throughout the week. They show up to worship to get their their points, one might say, which they don't get. And they're not listening. They're not listening. Verse 2, be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God, for God is in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. For a dream comes with much business, and a fool's voice with many words. Now, the context of this is that in that day, you could make a vow to God. Remember Hannah, the mother of Samuel, and how she was in the temple praying, and she was saying, God, she was barren, she was saying, God, if you give me a son, I will give him back to you. That was a vow. She was making a promise to God. Lord, I'm so burdened that I don't have a son. I'm going to give him back to you. And Samuel was born, and she gave him back to God. He went to live at the temple, and then became the great prophet and king maker. That was an illustration of a vow. So if somebody was really serious about something, if a, a man was a soldier and he was frightened in battle, he would make a vow to God. If a woman was barren, she would make a vow to God. If somebody was dying, they would make a vow to God. If, if they would heal, and these vows were serious. They were serious things that the temple recorded in some way. If you made an official vow to God, an official promise to God. So what Solomon is saying here, don't be rash with your words. Don't be don't be careless in the promises that you make to God. Be not rash with your mouth in regards to vows. Nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God. For God is in heaven and you are on earth. We, we always have to be reminded about that, right? God's in control. He's the one we're living for. We belong to Him. We're to glorify Him. Our life is all about Him. But as we go throughout our week and our sinful nature and this world continues to encourage us to say, no, it's not, no, you're in heaven. You're the God, okay? God, God's there just to kind of help you out. No, 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 no. <laughs> part, part of becoming mature as a Christ follower is to realize it's all about God. When we really believe it's all about me and how I feel and how my life is going and all that kind of stuff. No, 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 no. It's all about God. For God is in heaven and you are on earth. Get some perspective here. Therefore, let your words be few. For a dream comes with much business and a fool's voice with many words. So the fool will come in. And he's not chasing after God. He's chasing after whatever. He's chasing after uh, success. He's chasing after fame. He's chasing after whatever. And so what he'll do is he'll come and he'll pray to God and he'll try to manipulate God. Right? He'll, he'll try to control God. And so he'll be 
coming up with all this stuff and praying and praying and praying and praying, and then he'll make a vow and say, God, if you help me to be successful in this area, I'll do this or I'll do that. And, and you see, what Solomon is getting at is this person is chasing after what is not going to satisfy. And they're using God to get what they want. And Solomon is saying, don't do that. Don't try to use God to get what you want. Verse 4, When you vow a vow to God, do not delay paying it. Because what would happen with a vow is, is that you would say, Lord, give me a child. And if you give me a child, I will give this child back to you. I will give you a certain sacrifice. In a sense, I'll give you resources. That could be another way to pay a vow. And what he's saying here is if you make a vow and God comes through, you've got to pay God. You've got to honor your promise. Do not delay paying it. How many have been in a tough spot, right? I mean, you're in a financial jam or you really want this woman to marry you or you're struggling with an illness and you say, God, if, if, if you do this for me, if you answer my prayer, I will go to church every Sunday for the rest of my life. I will read through the Bible twice every year. I will be a missionary wherever you want. I mean, have you ever been there before? Right? I think all of us maybe at one point in our life have been at that point saying, God, please come through. And when God comes through, what happens to the vow that we made? Well, unfortunately, many times it's forgotten. No, everything's good now. Oh, God, you misunderstood me. <laughs> I, 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 was, uh, I was insane. I wasn't thinking straight when I made that vow. <laughs> right? Now, now, let's look at uh, the next verse. It says, Let not... Your mouth lead you into sin, and do not say before the messenger that it was a mistake. Why should God be angry at your voice and destroy the work of your hands? What's he saying here? Well, back in that day, from what we can take from this verse, is that when you made a vow at the temple, they would record it. And if you did not pay the vow, if you did not bring the sacrifice, whatever you said, they would send a messenger to your house and say, Hey, listen, it seems like God has has come through for you. Are you going to pay your vow? And what do they say? It was a it was a mistake. <laughs> People haven't changed much, have they? It was I, you misunderstood me. I didn't mean that. I I I, I didn't mean that I would do that for God. I didn't mean that I would bring that sack. <laughs> yeah. You see that's what happens when we're trying to control our world and we're a fool. And we're not listening to God and we're chasing after something else, but we're using God and say, God, if you do this for me, you know, then I'll do this for you. And then when he, when he does that for you and you say, God, I'm going to give you 20% if you bless my business. And, and God says, okay, well, I blessed your business. And we say, oh, well, that was, that was a mistake, God. There were a lot of other costs involved that I didn't, you know what I'm saying? We should not be using God. The other, the other idea here is that whenever you make a promise to God, Really think before you do it. Guard your steps. Really think about it. I mean, if God's convicted you in a certain area of your life, 
And you're making a decision about what you're going to do. Think before you make that decision. Obviously, you want to obey Him. But just... What I'm trying to say is that you'll be here on a Sunday morning and you'll be listening and you'll say, yeah, that's an area I really need to clean up in my life. And you say, okay, God, this is what I'm going to do. And on Monday, you forget about it. Stop that. Don't do that. Write it down. Take it to your daily office. Think about it. Don't make empty promises to God. That's what Solomon is saying here. Don't make empty promises to God. Give careful thought. Guard your steps. Verse 7, For when dreams increase, and that's what these people are doing. They're chasing after the wind. They're chasing after all these different things. And it's, it's wonderful to dream, isn't it? We love to dream. We love to think about everything we want to see happen in our life, but it's tough to live it out. Oh, my. <laughs> it's tough to live it out. So a person who's a fool, oh, this is going to happen, and oh, I'd love this to happen, but, and Lord, I'm making this vow to you, but when it comes right down to it, it's a whole other thing to make it happen. For when dreams increase and words grow many, there is vanity. Remember that word, vanity? Meaningless, 38 times in Ecclesiastes, 12 chapters, it's meaningless. When you're trying to use God to get what you want, it's meaningless. But God is the one you must fear. Boom! God is the one you must fear. That is the core message of Ecclesiastes. And we'll see it more as we study on here, but that's it. A fear of God. Not like, oh, God is going to, you know, use me in any way. It's a healthy respect for God. Psalm 89, 6 and 7 says, For who in the skies can be compared to the Lord? Who among the heavenly beings is like the Lord? A God greatly to be feared in the counsel of the holy ones and awesome above all who are around Him. That's who our God is. Proverbs 1, 7. This is the core verse of Proverbs. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Here's what I'm driving at. As you mature as a Christ follower, you need to understand who God is. You need to understand that He is God and you are not. You need to understand that He loves you, He's your Father, He's in control of your life, and that you need to listen to listen to Him. And you need to guard your steps. You need to live carefully before a God who's paid the price, the ultimate price for your life. You need to realize that you are a temple of God, that the Holy Spirit lives in you. You need to understand what your primary purpose for being on this earth today is, and that is to glorify God. That is it. To glorify God. And is that is that the way that you're living? Is that the way you're guarding your steps? Is every step that you take, 
Are you considering the fact that you're a walking temple of God? You are glorifying Him. That is your job. Is that how you're making decisions in your life? Are you guarding each step that you take? pray together. Lord, help us. Help us to listen to You. Lord, so many times in our lives we have not listened to You. We've been fools. We've been trying to control our lives. We've been trying to get our way. We've tried to even use You. We've made foolish promises to You. Lord, I pray that our family will grow in a deeper knowledge and understanding that we are a temple of God and that Your Spirit is within us and that we're to glorify You, that You bought us with a price and we are to guard our steps. We can't do it on our own, obviously, Lord. It only comes through Your power. Help us continually turn to You in the midst of the daily challenges that we face and say, Lord, help me. Help me to glorify You in this situation. Show me what steps You want me to take. In Christ's name, Amen.